G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 7 Review and uh, well, about a third of the way through the season now and some teams definitely running a lot hotter than others and uh, I think we've seen uh, one of them in particular today, Brisbane, really stamping itself as uh, perhaps Melbourne's Greatest challenge ever, Demons, of course, bowling along, still undefeated. Had to work pretty hard for the win against uh, Hawthorne on Saturday. But Brisbane, a really powerful win over Sydney at the SCG. Very impressive stuff indeed, as was uh, Fremantle in its win down at GMHBA Stadium. Always a massive win beating Geelong at Geelong. And my co-host, and we are, of course, proudly brought to you by Palmerbet, Get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season, thanks to Palmerbet. Remember to gamble responsibly. But my Footyology podcast co-host can say, as did Mike Williamson famously during the 1966 grand final, I tipped this because, Robert Shaw, you tipped Fremantle to win by one point. You were wrong. They won by three points. I was wrong. I was wrong when I tipped Adelaide to win. And I was wrong when I picked Essendon to win. So, um, and I think we both picked Sydney. So, so I think we had uh, about, around about an average sort of day, Rowan. But um, oh, don't talk yeah. yourself down. Tipping Freo to win at Geelong is a very good tip. I would have thought. Yeah, I was reasonably confident. Reasonably confident. I think they're. I even um, we suggested, or I suggested, they're an outside chance to to really press Brisbane and Melbourne as another premiership favourite. I still believe in that because without their number one Ruckman, who's a very good player, their key full forward, and if um, Fife can do a Crips and come back to full fitness, that's their three best players out of the side. To go down there and to win that game is an outstanding effort. No, terrific win. Okay, my next question to you, and I just want yep. a, a quick answer, was going to be this. Here is the current eight after seven rounds. Melbourne. Yes. Brisbane, Fremantle, St Kilda, Sydney, Carlton, Geelong, Collingwood. There is your top eight. Outside the eight, Richmond, Western Bulldogs. We're not going to consider them just for the sake of this exercise. Of those eight teams, how many are legitimate premiership chances in your view? Melbourne, Brisbane, Fremantle, Sydney Swans and 50 cents each way, which you have to do, Geelong. Yep. Okay. I was waiting for that. We is will, that okay? Yeah, it is. No, we, we cling on to Geelong like a, a life raft, <laughs> don't we? Cause yeah, just... but it's a place bet. Yeah. We only have a place bet, <laughs> Rowan. Yeah, yeah. Rowan. No, look, very, very interesting uh, top of the ladder. And, um, oh, gee, a third of the way through the season, you've got eight teams in the top eight. You're only saying sort of three and or four are a chance. Yeah. Uh, well, a lot of action to go, but uh, we're at a very interesting stage already. It was a very. I've got a question for you. Yeah, quick one. Yep. 
anyone outside the eight mount a premiership challenge? Yeah, I'd say two. And I think you're not you know going to go for the about. dogs. Yeah. Didn't you watch today? I did, but I, I just oh, but look, they've done they've done it before. They won a flag from seventh. Okay. They won a flag from seventh. They lost three games in a row, I think, late last year, made a grand final. They are very much a momentum team. Look, in their current state, absolutely no chance. Ditto for Richmond. But it's just oh, that um, with players coming back, Martin. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway. So, anyway, well, time will tell. And Let's hopefully. Go. If we look pretty stupid, people will just forget those last couple of minutes. But a big round. We're here to analyse it in forensic detail. Let's get going. On Footyology, wrap around. The action kicked off in Perth on Friday evening with West Coast taking on Richmond. And, well, this was an absolute smashing. The Tigers doing a complete number on West Coast and winning by 109 points. The final scores, 25-15, 165 Richmond, West Coast, 8-8-56. The goal kickers for the victors, seven goals to Tom Lynch, four to Jack Rewalt, three to Shea Bolton, three to Morris Rioli Jr., three to McIntosh, two to Castagna, singles the rest for the Eagles, just a one multiple goal kicker, and that was the veteran, Josh Kennedy, who brought up his 700th goal in AFL football. So fantastic effort by him. But, uh, wow, this was embarrassing stuff, Rob, and it was all over a quarter time. Seven goals, three, Richmond to West Coast, one goal, two. Didn't offer a yelp, just to give you an idea how uncompetitive they were. Forget the, just the scoreboard. At quarter time, Richmond had already taken eight marks inside 50. Mm. They'd recorded 15 inside 50s for 10 scores, so scored from two-thirds of those forward entries. By halftime, they had scored 76 points from turnovers, which is the most ever recorded to halftime of a game by Champion Data, and they by then racked up 33 inside 50s for 19 scores, etc., Etc. Etc. It was an absolute smashing, third smashing in a row for the Eagles, who have now lost their last three by what over a hundred and two by more than sixty, um, and real embarrassment and a genuinely low ebb for this club. It was ugly stuff. Oh, it certainly was. And now you've got to right. You know, you can understand COVID and the significant injuries. Can you put it all in that basket? Well, you can't because it was spiritless non-aggressive and, um, you know, even really good players, just not tuned in. Um, McGovern, uh, Hearn's been a warrior for them. They were a bit unlucky with without Barras because um, they were trying to free up McGovern, but also he had the responsibility of Lynch and Rewalt. So he couldn't do both his roles that he tries to do. Um, what I liked about the time, oh, and well done too. Um, you went with Lambert straight back into the side. Yeah. And um, I thought that was um, a, a genius move by Richmond or desperation stakes. It certainly shows how much they think of him. And he was very good. But I like the, um, at the moment, we've got Koch and Tarrant and Martin out of that side from basically full strength. So they're getting their numbers back. Cochin and Martin have great finishes to the year. They can make a move. 
They're giving Bolton a lot more game time um, in the middle. He had 30 possessions and 15 score involvements. And they also did something that sometimes I don't agree with. They took a winner to try and um, fix up a poor area. Now, robbing Peter to pay Paul was a move of short to the midfield. That was a real winner for them. So out of this um, sort of flat spot that the Tigers have been in, they might be able to generate a bit of depth through the midfield, which was their weakness. Chief uh, Shade Bolton is such a good player. No question in my mind now in, in terms of importance to the side, he's ahead of Cochin. Uh, as much as I, I love Lamb, but he's probably even ahead yeah, he of him. He's um, ahead of Graham. He's, he's number – who else have they got in there? He's number two to Martin. Yeah, I, I agree. And and he offers them that sort of Martin spark too, doesn't he? Yeah. And, and they'll get that coming back with Martin, hopefully, although who knows – you know, gee, it's been a long way off, so who knows what that's done to him. This is the difference now, that that they would need every single one of those stars that you mentioned playing, I think, to the peak of their powers to even be a chance. That wasn't necessarily the case when they won that last flag in, in 2020. What about the other mob, Rob? Because we, well, spoke, we spoke about this during the preview. They are in a real bind here, and, one of the, and, and they are in a bind because easily their best players are still their, their veteran players, and yet they're all playing a lot less than they can play. They are not the future of this club. Clearly, they are going into a rebuilding phase, yet these guys are there. You can't not play them. What does Adam Simpson do? Well, they had Kennedy, Darling, Kelly, Cripps, Gaff, Redden, Shuey, Duggan's a good player, McGovern, Hearn, and Nelson's a good solid player for them. So that's 12 players in their best side. So the other eight, well, they're trying young players, um, players that aren't up to it, players that have been delisted, had to get picked up in emergency situations that are playing. Um, they're, they're, they're very well short of it. They only had on their home ground, Rowan, with, with those good players around, they were only able to amass 36 inside 50s. Yeah. 36. They're directionless at the moment. They're not playing with any confidence and they're not playing with any system. There was no pressure. Um, and, and this was a game with no pressure. There was only 85 tackles in the whole game. Was, usually, it, it, it usually was... so shouldn't that give them a chance to go forward and win some footy if there's no pressure? I've got, I've got to say, look, I, I like open, flowing, you know, free-scoring footy, but... How tedious was that game to watch because of, course, of that lack of pressure? Of course you do. You're barrack for Essendon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it wasn't that game tedious to watch because yeah. of the lack of physical yep. pressure. Yep. Um, um, go yeah. on. Keep going. No, you're right. You're well, right. No, I've I did well what I wanted to do. Well, lamenting the Eagles, uh, it doesn't get a lot easier for them because guess where they have to go next week? They have to go to the Gabba to take <laughs> on Brisbane. On Saturday yeah. evening, and Got if what they put, what they put on at home on Friday night is any guide, this could be uh, well, it could be absolutely X-rated viewing, Rob. And uh, we've got a good one for the Tigers, haven't we? That's a big game. It is uh, the Battle of Punt Road slash Hoddle Street, Richmond yep. up against Collingwood. Cool. And you know what the best part about this is? Richmond v Collingwood at the MCG, one forty-five p.m. On a Saturday afternoon. How good is that? 
And they'll pack them in too because... Oh, you know why they'll pack them in? Because it's a Saturday afternoon. It's a great game time. You know, the only thing missing will be lace-up jumpers. And I reckon both sides ought to wear them just as a tribute to a bit of a return to the good old days of footy. Saturday afternoon, MCG, Richmond Collingwood, 145. That will be an absolute corker and we'll come to the pies. But uh, they are chugging along quite nicely too. So um, that'll be a great game in front of a big crowd. Not so the Eagles. I'd strongly recommend you don't let anyone under the age of 18 even clap their eyes on that uh, very, very, uh, well, not raunchy viewing, but uh, um, uh, not suitable for minors, I would say, (laughs) is a warning on that one. All right. All right. Good. Absolute smashing to Richmond. Uh, Let's move on to Saturday. Well, if this wasn't the game of the round, it was certainly the second best game of the round. Line ball for mine, I speak, of course, of Geelong up against Fremantle down at the Cattery, GMHBA Stadium, the hardest venue for visitors to win at. But we got one of those rare events, an away win at Geelong because hats off to Fremantle. They were absolutely superb. Uh, Geelong did lead at quarter time, but Freo just muscled their way back into this game, took charge themselves in a third quarter in which they kicked four goals to just one for the Cats and then held on manfully despite a late rally by the Cats to win by three points. Ten goals, nine, 69 the Dockers to Geelong, 10-6, 66 for goals. Two to Lobb, two to Schultz, Two to Frederick, singles the rest, and for the Cats. Three to Stengel, certainly doing his job as a goal-kicking small forward this season. Two to Hawkins, two to Stanley, two to Blitzars, including the final goal of the game, which gave him just a sniff, and the other one a single to Dalhouse. Well, some interesting numbers here, Rob. Um, Fremantle's pace has become a real factor and we talk regularly about how Geelong can struggle against sides with plenty of run well I think this was another example of it interesting stat I jotted down at half time uncontested ball 83 to 117 so Fremantle up 34 in that stat at half time Um, Frio in fact dominated that middle part of the game uh, because it was seven goals out of eight they kicked between the end of the first quarter and Lockie Schultz's goal at the start of the last quarter. This, mind you, all achieved without a very important ruckman in Sean Darcy and a key forward in Matt Taberner. Funnily enough, Robin, you know I've got a vested interest in this young man, but I reckon the injury to Max Holmes actually cost Geelong. I think it robbed him of some outside run. Too invested. You don't reckon it was a loss to them? I thought I thought it was significant. <laughs> All right. Um, no, anyway. That's good. That's why we run the program. Well, a great, a great. Oh, look, just a couple more shout-outs to the Dockers. Yeah, good. Blake Akers, 27 disposals off a wing, thought he was terrific. And Andrew Brayshaw, leading the coaches award, I think. And what a season he's having, 28 disposals for him. He was terrific. And a couple of key defenders too, Griffin Logue on Jeremy Cameron. And Alex Pierce on Tom Hawkins got the job done. Fantastic team effort by the Dockers. And I think I am now a believer, Rob. You know, I've been a bit of a, a skeptic about them, but you beat Geelong at Geelong. You've got my vote. Yeah. 
Fancy giving acres that many acres, fair income, out on that wing. Okay. Um, they were no green. They were, no, no, no sorry, they were green acres too. <laughs> um, you made a point, and uh, I'll let you go with it. The Cats were goalless from the 28-minute mark of the first quarter to the 20-minute mark of the third quarter on their home deck. Mate, the, the bloke in Tassie that coached the Tassie Jack Jumpers basketball just won the coach of the year, quite rightly. I tell you what, there's a fair gap between the coaches and Justin Longmuir because his coaching has been outstanding. He, 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 his matchups, his preparation, um, his ability to control the ground. Like, in, in what world do we live in where Tom Stewart can have 40 disposals and 13 marks and the team he plays for gets beaten? That is unheard of. So they found a way around him, through him, over him, and under him. Tom Stewart and Cam Guthrie, 75 disposals between them. Guthrie, two tackles. No good, right? Sarong, you went, you went Sarong, you went Brayshaw, Mundy, Akers, Brody. They were, they were really organised. Their defence was good. And in the one-on-one -on -one battles, Griffin Logue and Ad Alex Pierce have been sensational because they held, after a smart start by Jack Hawkins, they they held those two to zero. After I, that, um, they're outstanding defending. Yeah, no, I wanted to, I want to ask you specifically about their defence because you, they're really revealing numbers, aren't they? Stewart forty disposals, Guthrie thirty-five disposals. You know, Geelong's had a lot of the footy for very little reward. So how are the Dockers defending to make Geelong work that hard for so little reward? How are they actually defending? Are they pressing up on the Geelong ball carriers? Are they are they pulling back? It's often hard to see when you're not there. What what do you make of how they defend? Oh, their, their, their capacity to press the ground, and that means close down space and pressure, um, it just shows you... They've got a great capacity to defend the inside 50. It's hard to explain without a whiteboard. Um, the Cats had 10 more inside 50s on their home ground. Mm. And they get two goals out of Cameron and um, Hawkins. They've got a great capacity to be one-on-one -on -one defenders. And the way they get back and, and assist that last, say, 25 metres is as good as anyone. Um, it's right up there with that Melbourne defensive organisation. You know, the other thing we often see at Geelong is we see Geelong sort of take ownership of the corridor and the visitors forced out wide where they inevitably keep kicking it out of bounds because it's such a narrow little ground. But it was really noticeable to me that Frio really avoided that. And I thought it was Frio that more often than not controlled the, the middle of the ground. Now, if you're doing that to Geelong at, at Geelong's home ground, you're doing something pretty well, aren't you? Oh, there's no doubt about that. that that's the extraordinary thing because and uh, it's really hard to explain without lo like looking at a video or a whiteboard. Uh, I'll keep going back to 10 more inside 50s and on their home ground, 35% efficiency inside 50. Now, So, so scores per inside 50, 35%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And... and I, I I haven't seen enough of them. I'd love to watch them live. I don't think I've watched them live, Rowan, and it's very hard to see what they're doing 
off the uh, TV. Well, the I, TV... I, I did watch them live against Essendon. Oh, Essendon, yes. But that, but that day, I must say, I was noticing their midfield more than their defence because okay. it was the midfield which really took that game over. But clearly their defence was a huge factor in this win down at Geelong. Look, whatever they're doing... And don't forget, um, he held... Um, I don't think Wright scored against him, Pierce, and there was someone else the week before. Um, we had it in our preview. Wright and... Don't matter. We won't, we won't hold up discussion. It was a great win to the Dockers and certainly any remaining sceptics like myself, surely on board now. You've got to come with me. You've got to come with me. Well, I'll tell you what. Well, it, yeah, go on. On the Freo train. Okay, I'll come with you on the Because they're, they're on the third line of premiership betting behind yeah. Melbourne and Brisbane. They're yeah. right in there. Yeah, no, fair enough at the moment. And uh, they've got what at the moment, without being dis- what is being disrespectful, but they have at the moment probably the easiest... Uh, opponent in the competition, which is North Melbourne at home. That is next Friday night. Wow. Actually, is, it just like you're right, Rowan. We're third of the way through the season. And some of these teams, if they get, and it sounds disrespectful, if they get the easy kill, you know, it gives them a bit of a percentage and a bit of a boost. They're going to be hard to catch. Real hard to catch. Yep, yep. Well, they certainly set themselves up for a top four finish. Geelong, meanwhile, they take on GWS in Canberra on Ooh. Saturday afternoon. And, uh, well, given how the Giants fared on the weekend, that will be interesting too. And, in fact, the Cats have had a bit of trouble at uh, times with the Giants. So we'll watch that one closely. That was the first game on Saturday, but it was a uh, bonanza of Saturday football because there were another four Still to come. Let's move on to the next. Well, I reckon this was probably a turn-up, if not the uh, the winner, certainly the extent of the dominance of the winner. I'm talking about GWS's big win over Adelaide at Adelaide Oval. The final scores in this one, GWS 17-11-113, making pretty short work of a disappointing Adelaide, 8 6 54. The goals for the Giants, four to Toby Green, three to Canelio, three to Hogan, three to Whitfield, doing some real damage up forward, two to Himmelberg, singles the rest. For the Crows, Taylor Walker, the only multiple goal kicker Mm. for the Crows. He kicked two. Uh, Well, uh, you wouldn't call it an upset win, although we both did tip Adelaide. but uh, We did. They, well, they just dominated them from the start. It was 5-4 to 1-1 at quarter time. In the second term, it was another six goals to one. So game all over at half time when the scoreline read 2-3 to 11-8. And that is a 59-point margin. And from there, basically a holding mission. In fact, six goals each in the second half. Uh, they were great up forward, the Giants, and they were great midfield too. Where Josh Kelly mm. had 41 disposals and seven inside 50s. Tom Green had 24, and isn't he becoming an important player for them? Isaac Cumming was good for the Giants, 33 disposals. Tim Taranto, 23 disposals. And uh, performances like that, a lot fewer and further between for the Crows. Rory Laird, 35 possessions. Ben Keys. 27, Walker, the two goals. 
but that was about where it started and finished for them. And uh, they've been playing some pretty good footy of late Adelaide, but it just had that look about we think it's just going to come our way today without mm. enough effort. And the Giants clearly stung by their lacklustre recent form. Well, they had a ripper. It was vintage GWS this one, didn't you think? No, it was. There's no doubt about that. Some great things to come. You mentioned Isaac coming. He, he nearly had the fifth perfect game. You've mentioned his disposals. He also had 15 intercept possessions and seven tackles. And he's allowed, uh, I know he's been there before, but it's given them greater flexibility with Lockie Whitfield, who's now become a little bit of midfield and a little bit of forward and kicks goals. So they've added a, a, a weapon there. Um, we discussed um, multiple captains at the start and between us we weren't sure, but Kelly's had a good year but he had a great game. Coniglio's had a terrific year, both on the stat sheet, he's hitting the scoreboard, and he's really tackling well. And, of course, they get the third captain back in Toby Green. Is he that important? It sounds like he is. Um, they, they, they were just fantastic. And, of course, they found this young kid who's been simmering underneath in uh, Tom Green. He's an outstanding in and under, clean hands, inside mid, six foot three. Interesting thing I want to throw up to you. Um, when you've got Josh Rochelle, who's been really, really dangerous and obviously a key in that forward line, who do you play on him? You know, what sort of matchup? I'd say you go with his best mate from Caulfield Grammar. That, Who's that? <laughs> Cooper, Cooper Hamilton. Oh, okay. No, there's a there's an interesting little uh, touch along from the uh, from the under under the under the uh, spotlight coach Leon Cameron to come up with a little bit of a jewel there and keep Rochelle to donuts. Now, that's a bit of a uh, Kevin Sheedy. It um, is, isn't it? Isn't it playing playing the? Uh, well, you know, I remember. Uh, I, 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 I digress. Oh, well, I remember with the day in 1992 he played. Uh, uh, Dean Wallace and David Flood on Plugger and and uh, kept Plugger goalless and the headline was nil boys, nil goals. And <laughs> he was big on that, you know, playing kids from the same country towns on each other and stuff like that. So, I, uh, But, yeah, I know we're digressing, but he, 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 that's where he got so distracting. He came up with all these, he, he would have, like, this is, Leo, this is Kevin Sheedy. Two mates from Year Twelve from Caulfield Grammar. I think they actually played in the Caulfield Grammar Premiership, might have. And um, so Cooper, have, you know, have a debut game against your best mate. I don't want him to get a kick. Um, well, let's um, talk about the Crows. Have they got ahead of themselves? Oh well, they were ambushed by physicality and mm. pressure. Mm. There's no doubt about that. Frampton didn't come alive. Him, no. Himmelberg had one kick and zero score effects. Rochelle, zero score. So this was a really good, you know, people starting to doubt Liam Cameron. Has he got another shot left in him? Well, that was a really good coaching performance. Um, emphatic, direct, uh, multiple goal kickers, great midfield, good rebound from halfback. It was nearly the perfect game. That's a big win. What was you know, it? 74 points or something, wasn't it? No, Did it get that far? Or got that out? Don't got test, out that far? Don't test my mess like this. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, I'm going to have to work big, it out in a 50, 59 a points. Win. 59 yeah. points. I was just going to say on, on midfield, 
it, it does give you that sort of reality check that Adelaide, for all their improvement, they still have a pretty thin midfield, particularly with Rory Sloan now out for the year. And, al- because, yeah. and alternately, yeah. though, GWS, there's been times when they've looked like their midfield was too thin, but you look at it in this game and the, the prolific ball winners all over the place, and they've now got the added luxury of playing guys like Whitfield out of the midfield or, you know, it was a, was a half-back flank, now a half-forward flank. Yep. Um, so, yeah, like w- w- winning form can uh, give you a different perspective on a lot of things. Now, what happens next week? A big game for the Giants. Mention it just before, but they have got Geelong in Canberra, 435 next Saturday afternoon. That's a great test for them. And I think, you know, you no, need to... That's a great test for Geelong. It's a great test for both of them. But, I mean, yeah. you, you, to be convinced about GWS, you need to see them doing it. I reckon three or four weeks in a row. And that's been a bit of an issue for them. Uh, as for the other mob, well, Adelaide will be coming to Melbourne and they play in the final game of round eight, uh, 4.40 p.m. Marvel Stadium against Carlton, whose record at that ground is pretty good of late. So another big uh, challenge ahead for Adelaide, who are disappointing at home. They will certainly want to rebound from that very disappointing performance. That was Saturday afternoon in Adelaide, Saturday twilight back in Melbourne. We had uh, two local teams going head to head. Melbourne remains undefeated seven games into the 2022 season, but I did have to work very hard. In fact, this was their narrowest winning margin yet. Uh, in fact, they're two narrowest winning margins, 13 points against Gold Coast, and now 10 points against Hawthorne. Perhaps surprising the sides who have pushed them the hardest. But don't want to disrespect Hawthorne because they were really, really good in terms of their effort. The final scores in this game, Melbourne, 13-13, 91, defeating the Hawks, 11-15, 81. The goal kickers, four to Ben Brown, two to Toby Bedford, Two to Gorn, two to McDonald, singles the rest. And just a one multiple goal kicker for the Hawks. And that was Kaczynski, who was pretty handy up forward with four. But a tight game all day slash evening, Rob. Three goals each in the first quarter. Mm. Seven goals to five at half time. Melbourne putting their foot down with a power-packed third quarter. Boy, can they wheel out some decent third quarters. Six goals, four this time. Uh, Hawthorne got a few back, though. Uh, They kicked 3-3 themselves in that third term and then actually having the best of the last quarter in which they kicked three goals whilst the Demons remained goalless. So the Demons are always going to get there. Perhaps that 10 points is a little bit deceptive, but uh, I thought this is a pretty good effort by the Hawks. What do you make of it? Yeah, I did. You know, even first quarter, as you said, nine points in it. Now the traditional, I'm just waiting from when Melbourne don't have the traditional premiership third quarter to bust teams open. And uh, the Hawks hung in there in the last quarter, kicking three goals, four. Good effort by Melbourne. Jackson, Salem, Pickett, Neil Bullum, Sparrow, Petty and Hibbert out of that side. And they're still able to manufacture a, a rock-solid win against a very... Uh, promising opposition. And, of course, they did it through their captain, Max Gorn, who um, young Max Lynch, a novice, a rookie, 35 hit-outs to Gorn, 29 disposals for Ruckman, eight clearances and got two goals. 
There was good planning by the Hawks. Hey, don't, finally, forget, don't forget the 406 finally. metres gained. I think we're reading the same oh, stats God. in this case. <laughs> but he, he, no, he yeah. isn't, isn't that the great thing about their strength all over the ground, though, that they can pinpoint an opposition weakness and just exploit the hell out of it. And that's what Max Gorn did. And on the other side, well, we had Blake Hardwick did a terrific job on Bailey Fritch. And what I like to see, although it didn't come to fruition in the win-loss column, it was great to see someone finally tag Ed Langdon yeah. out on that. That was uh, Finn McGuinness who did the yeah. job on him. Yeah, and did a good Lang- job on him. Held Langdon to six kicks and three handballs, and he's usually a 25-plus and a real link between getting the ball out of their defence and bringing it up the outer wing. Always plays on the southern stand wing. They like to He likes to defend from that side. So that was a great effort by Finn McGuinness. You know, the, the scary thing about this, I reckon, in terms of Melbourne, is Max Gorn has played a fantastic game, but every other player named in their best, I reckon, and this isn't a criticism at all, but every other player named in Melbourne's best in this game, you'd look at and say, oh, yeah, well, they've played heaps of better games than this one. You know, like Oliver had 33 disposals. He was good. Petrarca had 31 disposals. He was good. But, you know, we've all seen them play much better games than that. Uh, Ditto Brayshaw. You know, Ben Brown, four goals. That's, That's about as good as he gets, I reckon. But, you know, beyond that, there weren't many players going around for Melbourne in this game who you'd say that was about as good as they could play. And yet it's still enough to get them the points. Um, And you know why? They bring in experienced, hardcore players that don't usually get a game. You know, Melchgrim came into the side. Very experienced, solid contributor, good AFL player. And, of course, Luke Dunstan from St Kilda. I call them stabilisers. You don't lose out on much, Rowan. You bring them in, uh, they just keep it nice and even, they play their role, and they're very experienced. They're not bringing in a first gamer or a very young kid from the Murray Bush Rangers. They're bringing in 100-game players that know what's going on. No, it's a, it's a really good point. Hawthorne, of course, doesn't have that luxury. I'll tell no. you what, though, plenty, plenty for them to be excited about. Um Gee, the emergence over the last season and a half of Dylan Moore, um, yeah. he's, he's a oh. really good player for them now. And he went into the midfield, I, I thought, quite significantly, um, you know, recruited as a midfielder, I'm pretty sure, became a small forward. But he got thrown in the midfield and he was very prolific. I think he might have ended up with about 19, 20 touches in the second half. He might, make, he might make that, um, you know, the, the recruiting people, we believe you can go through the midfield. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. all those ones. Yeah. And when they actually can't. But I reckon I reckon young Moore is a real good chance to continue his development. But he's also an important goal kicker for them. But that's reckon, okay. Do you reckon that's we, okay. Do you reckon we both know one recruiter in particular who's made an art form of wheeling that line out, Rob? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's keep going. There's going to be a few of those lines floating around, I think, over the next... Few oh, weeks. Um, look, I've said it every week. Hawthorne really set back by the loss of skipper, uh, ruck presence, and just a stabilizing influence in Ben McAvoy. He's got a pretty serious neck injury, he's going to be out for some time. But gee, they're discovering stuff all the times. James Sicily, you know, great standing leader for him and a, a terrific player for them. 
think Jay Gromier has been pretty good for them. Warple seems to be back to the sort of form he was displaying consistently a couple of years ago. They don't have as um, great a reliance on Brownlow medalist Tom Mitchell. So they're spreading the load a bit more widely, the Hawks, despite some key absentees. Um, and I think it bodes well for them. We were, we were both more bullish about the Hawks this year than a lot of people. And I think a game like this, even though they haven't won it, uh, that underlines to me that that optimism was justified because anyone who can yeah. push Melbourne to within 10 points the way Melbourne are looking at the moment, I reckon isn't a bad side, don't you think? Yeah, and and while our previews will come um, on Wednesday morning, it, it is a must win for Hawthorne to, um, to give that improvement a tick. They're playing Essendon. They're playing at Marvel. Uh, we'll talk about it later. I don't know what their record's like at Marvel Stadium. It doesn't matter till Wednesday. But you would have to think to follow up that performance, they've got to be really good against Essendon, don't they? They and, do. And, that, and that'll give you a good indication. Have you got the ladder there in front of you, Ryan? Uh, I do have the ladder in front of me. Hawthorne currently in 11th place at three and four, but level with uh, three other teams. Richmond Bulldogs, Adelaide, all immediately oh, outside the eight with three and four. It's, it's a big game for them to tack on with four wins, isn't it? Well, I don't think there's anyway. much. To, well, I think there's one thing we can say already with certainty, that is they will start favourite because there's no way Essendon could possibly start favourite for that game after the last couple of weeks. As what for are Melbourne, Melbourne doing? What are they Melbourne doing? are taking on St Kilda. That game is at the MCG, one ten oh, Sunday afternoon. Mm. And, uh, yep, well, we'll get to what happened to the Saints, but they'll be pretty peeved, I think, with what happened to them. So they'll be looking for a good bounce-back response against one the more, Demons. One, yeah, one more question, Ron. Yep. Um, and it's without notice, I'm sorry. Are all those blokes COVID, the Melbourne blokes? Uh, the oh, four, Salem's knee, Jackson. Jackson was. Uh, Pickett. Pickett was. Neil Bullen. Uh, yes. And Sparrow. Yes. Petty. No, uh, no, sorry, Petty and Sparrow. Uh, Jackson, oh, Pickett, Petty, Sparrow were all COVID protocols. Yeah. Inhibit and Salem are still injured. Correct. There's one other. There's one other. Um, they had another player out. Uh, no, can't think of it. Barassi. Don't matter. Barassi. Oh, Jesus. All right. Righto. Let's move, move on. on. <laughs> Let's move on. Well, I could do a complete rant on why on earth you would play a game of AFL football in Cairns in late April in at, at night in already difficult conditions. It just defies description, but uh, we were served up a pretty rancid spectacle as a result, fortunately redeemed by what was a thrilling finish. I'm talking about St Kilda's home game at Kazali's Stadium in Cairns against Port Adelaide. And for the second time in two years, the Saints had a game pretty much shot to ribbons and then blew it in the last quarter. Uh, when I say blew it, they blew it with inaccuracy because they were 2-3 at quarter time. They finished off the game 4-18. So after quarter time, the Saints kicked two goals, 15. Port Adelaide... We're in all sorts of trouble, just one goal at half time, but came home with a comparative rush, four goals to one in the second half. You're right there, Rob. 
It's all right. Yeah, I apologise. No, no, you're right. I just want to make sure <clears throat> you're still with us. Uh, we are going to continue on. Um, one point win to Port. Thrilling stuff. It was Robbie Gray who slotted the winning behind uh, from pretty close to the boundary line. I think the last 11 scores in this game were behinds. So it was hard to watch, but at least it was close in the finish. The final scores, Port Adelaide, 5-13-43, defeating St Kilda, 4-18-42. Robbie Gray's two goals, he was the only multiple for Port. Ditto uh, Max King for the Saints with two goals. Uh, Saints got the early jump. Port worked their way back into it. Uh, and eventually overran the Saints. This game is played in 24 Celsius heat, but more significantly, 82% humidity. And uh, sort of the humidity, uh, that dewiness is even worse than genuine rain for some reason. It seems to make ball handling even more difficult and the ball even more slippery. Uh, What are some other significant stats? Well, St Kilda, 10 points in a row. They were 3-3. That became 3-13. Port Adelaide completely dominated the last quarter of this game. They had 12 out of 13 inside 50s at one stage. And then the end, St Kilda was up by a point with just two and a half minutes left, having enjoyed the last seven inside 50s. But Port got it down the other end. Zach Putters snapped a point to level the scores. One minute, 39 left at that stage. Port attacked again. Robbie Gray kicked that point to give them a one-point lead, 31 seconds left on the clock. And then it was Gray who marked again, and as the siren rang, dished off a short pass. Pretty happy, uh, the power after that hard-earned victory and St Kilda. Well, they'll be kicking themselves about their kicking. They kicked 3-3-21 in the first 30 minutes of this game. In the final 86 minutes of this game, they kicked one goal, 15. And bad kicking, Robert, is bad football. Bad system is bad. In those conditions, they had, you know, you mentioned the first quarter, 24 to 8 inside 50s. Mm, that's massive. And, and, and couldn't put them away. They kicked 115, as you said, from their last 16 scoring shots. They even had a chance to win the game comfortably, Ron. You said after those 11 inside 50s from Port, St Kilda had the next seven. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question, an observation question. Those 750s, who were their targets going forward? Can you remember these instances? Short, half kicks, who's leading up? Higgins. Half volley, turnover, up the other end. Do it again, Higgins. Nothing wrong with Higgins, right? He's had a terrific year. But I've got this mental picture of four times they've gone to Higgins on the lead, the ball's dropped short. He's fumbled or got brushed aside. The ball's gone up the other end. Um, and I think actually, I think one of them yeah. was the uh, chain of yes. play that resulted in Gray's winning point. Too. Their system matches their inaccuracy. They didn't give them a set. They were tr- I thought they were too neat. Mm. I thought they were too neat. Mm. Um, they won the ball. They got it back on their terms after that initial onslaught by Port Adelaide inside 50. But to not to ice the game with seven inside 50s in a row, when they had Max King up there, I think he snapped a point, or actually everyone snapped a point. But to have your target 
When you've got Membry and King, you had Ryder pushing forward at times and in the end result, turnovers, poor kicking, poor decision-making and a poor system in those conditions. Get it in long and deep. And, you know, then you've got the two little fellas that should have had a picnic in those conditions. Gresham and Higgins kick one six between them. That's where the game was won and lost. Well, and Port it, were cleaner. And they had they had cleaner possession because the turnover came and it went back into a Port forward line that was a lot more open, Rowan. I wanted to ask you, because uh, I, I noticed him doing that sort of mop-up in defence thing that he does routinely, but Tim Membry, it almost looks, I might be unfair here, but it almost looks to me that as Max King has become a more prominent forward target, it's diminished Membry's role. It's like it's sort of lessened his influence on their forward setup. I liked him inside 15. He's a very good goal kicker. He did a lot of work up the ground, mm. up to the wing, leading yep. up there. But that's and, my point. Is that enough? Yeah. Can they afford to leave King one out like that? No, I don't think you can because initially, eventually, um, teams will have the stats. How many times do you go to King? How many times do you go to Membry? How many times do you go to Higgins? And teams plot graphs about inside 50s. And all you've got to do is, it's like Peter Wright at Essendon. Had, had a good day today, but in the past, two on one all the time. Let's talk about the winner because um, it's interesting. Since halftime, that Carlton game, they've now broken the ice. They're creeping closer. And, you know, for all the flacky cop for saying they were still a chance, Ken Hinckley might be right. They might still be a chance. I'll say this, though, and uh, it's remarkable that you're saying this, really, uh, not so much after last year. I reckon there's an argument Port Adelaide's most important player is Aaliyah Aaliyah. He was fantastic for them. He's such a great reader of play. He not only negates, he sets up attacks for them as well. And I think when he hasn't been there, they look completely rudderless down back and very easy to exploit. I think Aaliyah Aaliyah is such a pivotal player for that side. He was able to control the areas he's comfortable in, which is that area between 55 and 45. Teams that have had success have done a lot of planning in getting him back. I know he came back from injury, but there was a game a few weeks ago where we was really badly taken to the cleaners. Teams would take him. I don't think St Kilda put enough into the planning around this bloke and alongside him. So you had a Lear controlling that pivotal area that I've spoken about and alongside him, Ryan Burton played one of his better games for the club. He was clean in those conditions. I, I And you had... Robbie Gray, clean in the conditions. I didn't think... St Kilda had their chances to wrap it up early. Didn't take it. Left the left the back door open. Well, uh, two really interesting assignments for both these sides next week. St Kilda, as we mentioned before, well, it doesn't get any tougher. They've got Melbourne. That is on Sunday afternoon at the MCG. Uh, prior to that, though, a really, really interesting challenge for Port Adelaide because they host on Friday evening the Western Bulldogs at Adelaide Oval. Oh, so uh, stakes pretty high in that game, even though we're only up to round eight. However, I, are we allowed to say, are we moving into eight-point game territory or do you still only get four points for a win, Rowan? Well, you still only get four points, but metaphorically, I think I, I'm, I'm a fan of the concept of the eight-point game. Round eight 
is a pretty early time to have an eight point game. But okay, I'd been able to reckon. I reckon you might be on the money this season. So we'll uh, we'll talk about that a bit further in our preview <laughs> episode. Should be a great game though. Port no Adelaide Bulldogs. Well done, Port. And that was one of two Saturday night games. It was in the wet, greasy conditions of Cairns, and the conditions for this other game couldn't have been in more stark contrast, and that simply was because this game was played under a roof. Well, while the Saints and Power were slogging it out in the humidity and greasiness of Cairns, uh, Carlton and North Melbourne were uh, doing it comfortably in the pristine conditions of Marvel Stadium under the roof. Unfortunately, that only paid dividends for one team, and that was the Blues, who, after a pretty even first half, it must be said, absolutely shot away in the second half. In fact, nine goals to three in the second half, and that gave them a very comfortable 50-point win over North Melbourne. The final score, 17-12, 114, defeating the Roos, 10-4-64. The goal kickers, four to Mackay, three to Kurnow, two to Owies, two to Martin, and singles the rest. For the Roos, three to Larky, two to Zerha, and singles the rest. Well, I thought they were pretty good in the second quarter, Rob. They kicked five goals, the Roos, to the Blues, three. Trailed by uh, best part of two goals, but still very much in this game. But Carlton's third quarter was a return to the early 80s, those Carlton premiership quarters. They kicked 7-3 to 2-1 in that third term. North Melbourne, I'm afraid, lost the plot really on the disciplinary front, conceded or one stage. Nick Larky conceded a 100-metre penalty after tunnelling Lewis Young. Um, and this is after North had fought their way back into the contest with five goals of their own in the second quarter. Carlton's midfield uh, reigned supreme. Patrick Cripps, 35 disposals, 10 clearances. He was outstanding. Mackay up forward, always dangerous with four goals. But off halfback, the Blues really generated some good uh, run and carry off halfback. Adam Sard, good game from him. 25 disposals, and Sam Doherty had 33, just like the old Sam Doherty. For the Roos, Bailey Scott had 23. Jai Simpkin worked pretty hard, as usual. He had 22. Larky, three goals. Paul Curtis bobbed up here and there, one of a number of youngsters. But, uh, gee, it's not going well for uh, the Roos, Rob. They've now lost five in a row. Four of those losses by 108, 68, 60, and now 50 points. So they'll have patches in games, but they've just got to stop getting blown away in too many other patches. Well, they can help themselves or the coach can help them when you do continue to preach the young and they are young and are developing. Uh, when, um, When you get decimated, I think there's a reluctance and I don't know why because... The, the guiding players for young sides should be experienced. Now, we've discussed why Jerry um, is now the number one ruckman over Goldstein, but Goldstein goes in there, gets the opportunity this week. Okay, that's nearer here and all. What, what, what worries me is you have a strong competitor, Jack Zebel, six kicks and six handballs. Can't one the centre's clearances 22 to eight, Rowan? Mm. And you don't put Zebel in the centre square, 
right? Conspiracy theories abound. Um, what what is the consp- I, I, what is the conspiracy though? What what would is it? is not interested in playing the older blokes? Yeah. Is he phasing them out? Yeah. Uh, is he think if he's going to do a rebuild, it has to be without these players, because we've seen Zebul have the odd game. Um, in the forward line, he had a good game once, mainly used in a back pocket. Very rarely used, if at all, in the centre bounce. I think, to like we spoke about Rory Sloan, to guide, to nurture, to develop. Not sure the North Melbourne coach is using what experience he has got to the best of the of the advantage of the young North Melbourne players. It's or, a, it's he's a, wi- or he's wiping them. It's a tough position, though, isn't it? Because if he does leave Zebul permanently in the midfield, you're denying that much experience to a of younger course. player. Of course. But I'm saying if you get done 22-8, at least go in there. Mm. Put him in there for five minutes. Just stabilise the ship. Give some young players confidence. I'm not saying at all he should be 100% sentiment and deny development. What I'm saying is, read the play, we're getting decimated, put Jack in there for a little time. That's the same thing. What oh, about? No, it's not the same thing, sorry. What about Carlton? Where are Carlton? I think a lot of us are having trouble working out exactly how good or otherwise they are. Now, this game, they've won by 50 points. You know, it's relatively close at half time, and they've, they've put the foot down as a professional, efficient side should. However, they're still prone to leaking too many scores, aren't they? And not just leaking scores, they're prone to giving opposition sides periods of absolute dominance. And North Melbourne, for example, in the second quarter, kicked, uh, what was it, five uh, was five straight yeah. in yeah. the second quarter. I mean, if you're letting North Melbourne do that to you, geez, I reckon, you know, what 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 does Melbourne end up doing to you? Well, well work in progress. I think um, two step forward, one back. Look, 50 points is flattering to me. I think Carlton's main problem, like 110 to 56 disposing in that last quarter. Mm. They didn't, they wasted the footy. They had absolute dominance in the midfield with Cripps, Doherty, uh, Walsh, Sherrard, Saad, Kennedy. Absolutely dominant. And yet they couldn't stretch the margin even further. So maybe that's linked to what you're saying. Um that they they don't maximise the dominance they have, so they leave the door open a little bit, come back the other way, when other sides could get a little bit of a roll on. Now, for all this, though, the fact remains that they are sixth on the ladder, five and two, and importantly, even at this stage of a season, that is a two-game buffer to the ninth-place side. Now, if you'd seen the column I wrote for ESPN during the week, I'm not suggesting people should have, but uh, that would seem even more significant because I wrote about the round seven rule and it is a rule of thumb. Basically, in the past 21 seasons, only twice has there been more than two changes to the top eight after round seven. So a very good chance that if you're in the top eight at this stage of the season, you will remain inside the top eight. And Carlton have a two-game buffer, so... Gee, um, What's their percentage, Ron? Uh, their percentage at the moment is 104.46, which is the lowest 
of the top eight sides. And in fact, it's lower than even ninth and 10th place sides, which is oh, interesting. Well, yeah. It okay. makes them vulnerable. But like I said, they're two games clear of the Tigers and the Bulldogs, Hawks and Crows, who are all on three wins. Next week, uh, what have these sides got? Well, the Blues, they have a home engagement against Adelaide Marvel Stadium, 4.40 p.m. Sunday. That is the final game of round eight. And the Roos, well, not much fun. They are off to Perth to play Fremantle. And I'd suggest that is about as hard a task as uh, the AFL competition offers at the moment. So uh, turning into a pretty tough old season for the Kangaroos. That was all five games that were played on the Saturday. We had three games on the Sunday to finish off round seven. Let's have a chat about them. MCG, 1.10pm, the first of the Sunday games brought together Collingwood and Gold Coast. And this was a game last year. The Suns had a, well, in their history, a pretty famous victory. Could they repeat the dose? Well, they couldn't. But the Pies did have to work reasonably hard for the win. Final margin in the end was 25 points, the final scores. Collingwood 17-13, defeating Gold Coast 14-6-90. The goal kickers, four to Brody Majacek, three to Ginevan, two to Cameron, two to Josh Dacos, singles the rest and a good spread of goal kickers, 10 individual goal kickers for the Pies. For Gold Coast, Four to Casbolt, three to Chole. They've been a good tandem up forward this season. Two to Ainsworth, two to Holman, two to Miller. Roses, the only other goal for the Suns. Well, Collingwood certainly put the foot down in the first quarter after the Suns started well. The Pies slammed on seven straight goals in that Mm. first term to go that first break with a four-goal lead. Credit to Gold Coast. They fought back pretty hard in the second term with 5-1 of their own. Late goals, though, uh, were a bit of an issue for the Suns today. Happened again in the third quarter where they crept pretty close to the Pies and then allowed the Pies to kick the last few of that third quarter. In fact, uh, there was a moment where Levi Casbolt had a chance uh, to get them within seven points of the Pies, but he missed. And uh, the response was pretty rapid. Ginevan, Josh Dacos, Jack Crisp, all chipping in for quick goals. That gave the Pies a 31-point lead at the final change. And uh, it was a bit of cruise control after that. Three goals to two in the last quarter. Uh, Some interest. uh, Collingwood's debutante Ruckman, Aidan Begg. He offered a bit, I thought. Plenty of leap in the centre bounces. Darcy Cameron, of course, bigger responsibility for him now with Brody Grundy out injured and he split his time uh, between the ruck and a key forward role where he booted a couple of goals. Not bad up forward, Darcy Cameron. Jared Witts, Gold Coast ruck veteran and former Magpie, comfortably won the hitouts, but the Suns couldn't really capitalise on that work and it was the Pies midfield holding. So I tell you what though, one thing Collingwood is doing a lot better than last year or the last couple of years is converting its forward opportunities. You've got Majacek up there, Ginevan, uh, eight goals now in the last two games, following up his five on Anzac Day with three today. Cameron, pretty reasonable as a Ruckman slash pinch-hitting key forward. And the likes of the Dacos boys, and Dugowie, of course, always 
good for some goals. So they get uh, getting the goals from a variety of sources, the Pies, and there's no doubt they're getting a lot more goals than they did last season. So they're bowling along all right. How do you see this one? Well, I reckon rock solid. I like this win. Twenty-five, you know, four goals. I think it's probably where we where we pegged this game uh, last week. Um, my check the same. Ginevan the same. I really like Casbolt and Chol. Yeah. You know, without King, they've been pretty reliable and consistent in a team that just keeps hammering away. I, I got to give Gold Coast um, a lot of credit. They they do it without refinement. Um, but they they keep being very, very competitive because their stats are always very similar. They're competitive in clearances. Like I know Wits gave them the uh, first use of the ball, but their clearances were basically even. They won the centre clearances quite comfortably. And if you go back over the year, we've set, seen a lot of similarities between uh, the st- statistical standards of the Suns but um, the refinement of the other teams get them. You spoke about the Dacos, you know, the side bottoms, the Goey, a crisp, always Pendleby, always a slight edging class, mm. which I think makes up the twenty-five point win. Uh, the, um, I'm glad you mentioned Beg because um, I, I was going to say I beg to differ, but I actually don't, Rowan, because um, he's going to be an important player. We haven't we. Uh, we haven't got Grundy for twelve weeks. Cameron is is might emerge out of this. Is okay, Ruckman, but he can play the dual role. He can go forward, but I think he's a classic centre Ruckman with a very inexperienced novice backing him up. So Collingwood are have to, going to have to be very very good at ground level. They've got the troops, they've got the artillery, and they've got the skill. So if my check and Ginevan. Cameron can keep producing goals for them. They're going to be a very, very competitive unit going forward. Not, not many ruckmen can do that pinch hitting key forward role well, can they? So I reckon Cameron is one of the better exponents of it that I've seen. You know, it's in a way that say, um, I don't know, Callum Sinclair for Sydney is as well. I don't reckon many of them do it that well. Cameron is a better forward presence than most of his ruckmen who have to resort to that. Uh, to that role. I just want to ask you what you think about Gold Coast because this is a glass half full, glass half empty oh. scenario. Now, hang on, wait, let me throw you the scenario. They, yeah. have, they have now lost five of their, well, their record is now two and five and right. they've lost five of their last six. Now, last week they got blown away by 52 points. Their other uh, margins of defeat have been 13, 26, 26, and then this one, which was 25. So you could argue they have been more consistently competitive, but can they get away with that now? Or is the bottom line simply that they are two and five and now being in their, what is it, 13th, 12th or 13th um, AFL season? I'm not sure that's an excuse anymore. No, but I, I, I like their competitiveness. I like their... I know it sounds a strange word, consistency. Um, I haven't seen enough of them live. Um, again, where I love watching live football, you learn so much. Um, 
Who have they got next week, Ron? You said they've lost five out of six. Who are they, they up against? They have lost five out of six. Uh, uh, next week, uh, unfortunately, they are up against Sydney oh. at the SCG on Ooh, Saturday okay. afternoon. Uh, they've just got to keep hanging in there um, as best they can because um, the fixture is um, that solid. I don't want you to go too far ahead, but to bounce back and, and have, not bounce back, but have to butter up again and go to Sydney. So that was MCG. They go up and they're, they're, they're away again at Sydney. So yeah. the fixture doesn't get very much easier for them. No. Um, I, I, I think we're seeing improvement in effort. We're seeing con- improvement in um, capacity to match the stat sheet of other teams. They've certainly been competitive in clearances um, and the improvement, the continued improvement of Took Miller, um, Anderson, Raoul hasn't got going. Uh, I think it's been a, a, a steady growth. That's all. All right. Okay. It's a, a more charitable Oh, much better than what we've seen over previous years. They are a competitive football team. Yeah, I'm, not good I'm, enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm still not convinced. Um, not. All right, they have got Sydney, as we said, next Saturday afternoon. The same time uh, as that game, one forty-five. also the Pies have got that big MCG clash against Richmond. So that game was at the MCG, and a bit later on in the afternoon, down the other end of town, there was another game going on. Western Bulldogs and Essendon, two teams both uh, significantly underperformed from what popular expectations had them achieving in 2022. And that made this game pretty important. And in the end, it was won handsomely, comfortably, and I'd suggest a 32-point margin. Probably didn't do justice to the level of dominance that the Western Bulldogs had over Essendon at Marvel Stadium. The final score... 16 goals, 7, the Dogs, 103, 32-point victors over Essendon, 10, 11, 71. Well, pretty even first quarter, the Dogs getting on top in the second term, 6 goals to 3 at half time. really put the foot to the floorboard. So in the third quarter, 7 goals, 1 in that third term to the Bombers, 3 goals. And that was pretty much all she wrote. A few cheap goals at the end for the Bombers, but uh, don't let that deceive you. The goal kickers, three to McNeil. I think Luke Beveridge would be pretty happy about some of the lesser lights bobbing up today. Two to Dunkley, two, speaking about lesser lights, two to McComb, two to Wallace, two to Waitman, singles the rest. And again, big spread of goal kickers, 10 individual goal kickers for the Doggies, four Essendon, four to Peter Wright, two to Cutler, singles, the rest. Well, uh, I guess the good things for the Dogs, Rob, uh, Aaron Norton not really having an influence, being kept goalless, but they were still able to compile 16 goals, so plenty of others chipping in. Uh, Jordan Ridley played a pretty good negating role on Aaron Norton. Uh, The other thing to come out of this, the Bulldogs, boy, have they got Essendon's measure. Uh, The Doggies have now won eight of the past nine encounters against Essendon and won them very, very handsomely, an average margin of 50.6 points. I've got to tell you, Rob, again, we don't want to make this the Essendon show, but I thought Essendon was really, really ordinary today. I thought the effort was pedestrian. 
more worryingly, I'm beginning to think there's coaching issues here because the midfielders, they're going to get, uh, they're going to collapse a dizziness soon because they get the ball, they run around in circles looking for the handball option that's never there, sell themselves into trouble. They're confused. They turn the ball over. Um, they're a bit of a rebel at the moment, the Bombers. It, uh, it felt like 64, not 32. And I was there watching it from the uh, front row of the, the top deck of the stand, which was a great view to watch many things. Um, well done to the dogs on the spread of goal kicking. I, I, I picked Essendon in a boil over to win the game based on the fact that if they move Ridley back to a central position and use Kelly on Waitman, they could um, keep the dogs to a reasonable score. And if they played direct football quickly to Peter Wright, um, Waterman, Baldwin, these sort of like, they were somewhat of a chance. But it stopped there, Rowan, because I think you've summed it up. And coaching, skill level, indecisiveness, um, lack of confidence, lack of belief. Essendon have a great capacity, as you've alluded to, to handball in, handball to people that are in worse positions than themselves, which the way I was brought up is to handball to absolve yourself of responsibility. I don't want to take it. It's your problem. And that is a classic uh, tone of a team devoid of team belief and devoid of system going forward. What is wrong with kicking to the preferred side of a Jake Stringer one out or even a Waterman or even a young Baldwin? But no, and, and while I'm at it, at halftime, I'm going through my Twitter and Essendon are singing the praises of Zach Merritt, a wonderful young player. This is on social media. 27 possessions to halftime. Merritt killing it. It's not his fault that the game is promoted like that. But then I had a look at what Zach had done. 27 were 21 handballs, mm. 19 handballs, and 83% of his possessions in the first half were in the back half, mm. not hurting anyone. They just let him get it. Whereas... Well, hang on. This, this you, is you, a... Yeah, hang on. No, I've got to keep yeah, going sorry, on this go thing. On. Yep. You tell me... If you had a vote between who's the best player out of Merritt and Bolton, Merritt would win hands down at the moment. But the other bloke carves you going forward. I, I'm parish... sorry. I, I would take Bolton. Even now, I would take Bolton over Merritt every time because of exactly what you said. He's destructive. Merritt isn't destructive. It's, it's Neither destructive. is Darcy Parrish. It's destructive. And, and, and we, we build our... I love both of them, right? And they've been terrific. But don't... As, as Ron Barassi said, if you give me stats, I'll shut up to Jared Healy. But it's actually the other way around. I don't want stats. I want decisiveness. They're indecisive. They've got no confidence. And the dogs the, the dogs aren't travelling, Rowan. Right? They're going okay. But they had a good spread of goal kickers. They switched the play better. They moved and they had smarter footballers on the ground. No, you could see the dogs were struggling and it's a, a measure of how badly Essendon's going that the dogs still 
did it on the bit. And that thing about possessions, yeah, I'm with you 100%. Now, the player who most comes to mind to me for impact for few possessions, or two, Cyril Rioli and Michael Long. They, you know, like one of Rioli's possessions equates to about five of Merritt's because they just, Merritt and, and Parrish don't damage. They had 68 touches between them today. And for effectiveness, no, probably not even in the in the top five or six players on the ground. And what, what does it say about Essendon's coaching and, and drills and training, right, that there's never a player going past to link up with a handball? That's when you should be seeing handball. Isn't that how the modern game's played? Run off halfback, linking up with handball through the centre square. You never see Essendon doing that. You see well, Essendon midfielders getting the ball, running around 360 degrees and dishing off to a player in more trouble. Bailey Dale and um, young Daniel, they they distributed the ball under no pressure off halfback and, and set up the play. Um, I've got to apologise to the 38-year-old Stefan Martin that I disrespectfully yeah. thought that... Um, um, I, I thought he got out-tapped, but his craft work and his ability to... Um, Make some very telling uh, taps and 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 negate Draper. I thought it was a very good performance by him, and he rucked all day. I think Cordy gave him a bit of a chop out, but I thought he was terrific. And of course, a couple of young players, McNeil and McComb, McComb, McComb. I thought uh, a couple of shining lights for the dogs. I just like your referencing of uh, German uh, electronic band Kraftwerk from the uh, mid-70s and early I 80s. Hate, I hate that work that's crept into footy too, out there craft, working on their craft. Right. All right, let's move on. Uh, the Doggies, like I said, big uh, challenge for them next week over in Adelaide against the seemingly resurgent Port Adelaide. Essendon have a home clash on Saturday night against Hawthorne. Uh, like I said, not a lot to recommend them at this stage. Pretty dark times for if, people. If you, I'll say something about coaching, and I know how difficult it is. If you're going to preach, if the if if the club's going to preach development, and we're a young emerging side, don't put Hobbs and Perkins in the centre square for one centre bounce. You've got to back them in. And if you have to make half decisions and put a merit to a halfback or to a wing, you cannot start a game with Corwell and Hobbs in the half in half forward flanks. Because you know what happens? You might never know that you've got another parish. Think back to Parrish before he got that opportunity, Rowan. Where was he playing under Worsfold? Standing in a forward pocket. And then injury, we found a superstar out of injury. All yeah. Australian, and don't let this happen to Hodge, Caldwell, and Parrish and um, Perkins. Put them in the centre bounce. Have the courage of your convictions to back them in. And if one of Parrish or Shield or someone gets their nose out of joint, well, that's the art of coaching. All right, just that does that does fly in the face of what you were saying about Jack Zobel and North Melbourne. Uh, it doesn't. Why does that fly in the... F I said Jack Zebel goes in there just to calm the ship. I agreed with you. He doesn't go in there and play the whole game there. Okay. All right? Yeah, yeah. All right, gotcha. So what's wrong? Okay. No, you, you've challenged me. I'll challenge you back. So what's wrong with having a centre bounce of Perkins, Merritt and Parrish? 
Who gets tipped out? Shield. Okay, what's wrong with having the next set and bounce, Hobbs, Shield and Merritt? And Parrish goes to the half-forward flanker or wing. They've got to, you know. Well, we've got to wind this up. Um, right I've just got one more thing I'm going to say, and it's about Essendon's recruitment of GWS players. Shield, Smith, Corwell. How are they going? Corwell is a good player, will be a good player. Uh, one of them won a best and fairest in his first year. Yeah. And and the boy that they uh, gave away two first-round picks for yeah. has uh, been a, not been the absolute match winner. If you're going to do that, Rowan, you're getting Buddy Franklin or Patrick Dangerfield, aren't you? Yeah. For two first-round picks. I'll just say so I gave not- Smith an early tick. Yeah. I give Cornwall a late tick. I want to see more of Cornwall. I'm a bit of a rap for his hardness uh, and shield for two first round picks. You have to say it hasn't worked. Yeah, well, I'll say it's about, I keep hearing Cornwall's a really good player. I wouldn't mind seeing it. I think he's been a bit, a lot better than a lot of them. What's he played? 15 games? Yeah, well, okay. I mean, this is a conversation. Do, another. Ha- I reckon this is part of Essendon's problem. I reckon Essendon sets a really low bar on what it expects from its players. Yep. All right. We'll we'll continue this another time. All right. One game left in round seven, and uh, this was the pick of them. Well, a lot of anticipation ahead of this game. Two exciting teams, two emerging teams. Well, Brisbane have been up for a while now, but the Swans certainly emerging. Uh, They're free-scoring. They're good to watch. They're quick. They've got great kids. Who would prevail? Well, Hats off to Brisbane because even at the SCG, it was the more experienced Lions who did prevail in the end by four goals, 24 points, the final margin. Final scores, Brisbane 17-11, 113, defeating Sydney 13-11, 89. The goal kickers for the victors, three to Cameron, three to Rayner, three to McStay, two to Zorko. Singles, the rest, but good spread of goal kickers for the Lions. Ten individual goal kickers for the Swans. Six goals to Buddy Franklin, including one incredible burst of four in about ten minutes in the third quarter. Three to Heaney, two to Goulden. Singles, the rest. Well, this is a really good game. Uh, Tough, tight first quarter. Just one goal apiece in that first term. Brisbane getting the break on the Swans with a big second quarter in which they piled on six goals, four to just one, one for the Swans. They led by the best part, or in fact, more than five goals at halftime. But an amazing third quarter ensued. It started with the Swans piling on the pressure. They came out and the goals went like this. Franklin, Franklin, Franklin. Haywood, Franklin, but he dribbled one from the boundary line. He was kicking them from everywhere. He was on fire. And at that point, the Swans, in the blink of an eye, were back within three points. Now, this, I think the next 10, 15 minutes might actually be the moment where we look back in retrospect and go, this was the time when Brisbane said, we are a definite fire contender. Because not only did they hang on in the face of the Sydney Avalanche, they completely and utterly turned the tables on the Swans after that burst because after that last Franklin goal, it was Lockie Neal, McStay, 
McStay again with a lovely banana snap. Uh, all of a sudden, Brisbane back out to a 22-point lead. Another goal to Cam Rayner. Another goal to Charlie Cameron. And just on three-quarter time, that lead was back out to 34 points. They didn't rest there, though. They put it on another five goals in that last quarter to Sydney's five for a pretty comfortable win in the end. Good scoreline, 17-11-113. Good effort against the Swans. Plenty of goal kickers, plenty to like. Outstanding performance once again from Lockie Neal. He had plenty of support midfield too from the likes of Hugh McLuggage, uh, Jared Berry, down back, um, Harris Andrews, terrific as per usual, and McStay, a really good and underrated presence up forward, I feel, for the Lions, who, uh, well... I think Rob might have established themselves now as a fairly clear second flag favourite behind Melbourne. What do you reckon? Uh, I Well, I don't think they're behind. I think they're actually in front at the moment based on one thing. They're the most settled team in the competition. Melbourne are doing some great things with, you know, four or five, six players out of their team. But I'd like them to be playing now because I, I think – they're in a real settled spot, Brisbane. Every part of their game, you know, they lost Danaher. That's going to be awkward for them because even though Hipwood's close, they they need two or three pronged in their attack. So it'll be interesting follow there. I, I'm loving their back lines. Harris Andrews has come back to form. And um, as we mentioned, we had a, a big discussion about effectiveness of statistics and what they're worth. So if Neil finishes with 37, you say, oh, yeah. But then you look at him, 26 were contested. So he's inside. He's winning his ball inside. Um, You know, he got 11 clearances and nine tackles. So he's actually winning it in the heat of battle. Well, and, and nothing against Zach Merritt. He's not receiving a lot of well, hang on a second. You've missed the key stat, I reckon. Ten score involvements. He, well, hits, he, hits, that. he hits the scoreboard as well. And he got a goal. I'm reading this off the AFL website. They've really highlighted the consistency um, and, and, and the all-round game. It's a beautiful all-round game by Lockie Neal. He's got good support. It was interesting to, you know, Zane, Zane Zorko has been... Dane Zorko has been pretty good down halfback. Yeah, he has. But they're able to get him back into the midfield and have a look at him back in there, kicks a couple of goals. Um, Can I just say, though, you mentioned their back line. Their back line is really underrated, I think. I mean, um, Adams has been, uh, I think, yeah. important to that. Harris Andrews, we know how good Harris Andrews can be. Brandon Stasevich, he's development over the last couple of seasons has been really important. And he played a really important role today because he kept Isaac Heaney very quiet. And Heaney is a, a pivotal part. Well, Heaney still gets through, though. Oh, he, he was quiet, through. though. He didn't have the influence he usually has. Righto. It was a real... game, so yeah, I'm, no. getting, I'm getting carried by you here. Really good effort from Stasevich. So I'm looking at that Brisbane side across the park now. And whereas... Perhaps even last year you might have said oh, the back line could be a bit vulnerable. I'm not seeing that at the moment. And that forward set up, I mean, and I, I mm. ridiculous of me not to mention it, but Joe Danaher subbed out of this game at halftime with a shoulder injury. Even last year, I reckon, remember they lost Eric Hipwood 
And we said, well, you know, if Danaher doesn't fire their stuff, well, still no Hipwood back, although he will be coming back. No Danaher for half a game today. And uh, yet they've still managed to kick 17 goals uh, from a variety of different sources. So they have got firepower coming out of you know where. And that puts you in pretty good stead, I think, as far as uh, an attempt to win a flag goes. But if you said to me before the game, and and, uh, I'm going to ask you your opinion of Sydney and why, um, if you said to me before the game, Franklin's going to kick six, including a devastating burst of four goals in five minutes, I would have said you to, well, I won't waste my time watching that game because uh, it's a very good win to Sydney. I'll head off to Marvel Stadium to watch that blockbuster between Western Bulldogs and Essendon. What what happened with Sydney, Rowan? You well, well, what they... You know what? I, I walked away from... Well, I didn't walk away because I was watching it on my TV screen, but <laughs> I, I rolled my chair away from the screen thinking this, that yep. Sydney now, I reckon, are about where Brisbane was in 2019. Uh, a bit more vulnerable, a bit more prone to uh, make errors under pressure, you know, don't have... I mean, the thing that really impressed me about Brisbane today was that steadiness under pressure. Sydney at the moment doesn't have that. But Brisbane didn't have it three years ago either. But today, you know, I mentioned Brisbane's spread of goal kickers. They had 10 individual goal kickers. Well, Sydney only had five. And Heaney and Franklin have kicked nine of their 13 goals. So I think that's an issue. It's just... It's a bit of hardness. It's a bit of experience. It's a bit of nous. It's a bit of prior experience in particular game situations. No doubt Sydney are going to be a great side. Uh, I'm very confident they're going to win a flag in the next three to four years. But I think I I looked at that today and I thought, yeah, they're about where Brisbane was like two, three seasons ago, which means they're not far off. And you know what? It also doesn't mean they can't win a flag for three or four years because we saw Brisbane get to top four and then stumble you get to a top four and you're a chance of winning a flag regardless of where you are in your development because you're only two wins away potentially from winning a flag. Fair enough. So they're still very much a chance. It was a good good game, a high standard game. And uh, look, well done, Brisbane. No doubt they have really franked themselves as a seriously good side. Sydney, they'll be disappointed, but it wasn't a disaster for them. And uh, in fact, I reckon there's a fair chance they'll learn a lot from it. Uh, what happens next week, man? What happens with these two next week? Well, Brisbane, uh, it's a picnic time for the Lions. Oh, don't say that. They have got West Coast at the Gabba, seven oh, twenty-five wow. p.m. Saturday evening. I said that game will be. Uh, I, I would ban all miners from viewing that game. It could be really, really X-rated. As for the Swans, they have got Gold Coast at home. 1.45 p.m. Saturday afternoon, so a good chance for them to bounce back. That was it, Rob. That was... Well done. Well done. It's a seven. Big, big weekend. In all hand, don't sign off yet. Just doing the plugs. We are always proudly brought to you by Palmerbeck. Get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season, thanks to the guys at Palmerbeck. Of course, always remember... To gamble responsibly, you can support our podcast at the ACAST supporter page on whichever platform you listen to us. You can also become an official Footyology patron via the many links that you can find to Patreon, a wonderful supporter of independent media, writing and publishing. And those links are all over the Footyology website, footyology.com. 
www.ifcoaching.com.au where indeed you will find a copy of this podcast, but you already know that seeing you're listening to it. It wasn't very smart of me, was it? Big weekend of footy. My brain's a bit scrambled, but we got through it, Rob. Thanks for your company. And uh, Rob, listening, we'll see you again Wednesday morning when we preview round eight. Cheerio. Thanks, Rob.